3: W.A.B.E. in Atlanta. Welcome to this Friday edition of Closer Look, I'm Rose Scott. Coming up in just a moment, a conversation with newly elected Cobb County Sheriff Craig Owens Sr. and why he wants to end the controversial 280G program with Homeland Security.
2: I just didn't think it was the right thing for Cobb County. Uh, I think Cobb County is better and I think we can um, use those resources that we're sending to them in um, other facets to help my community. It makes no sense for me to supply resources to the federal government to supplement their manpower when I'm short manpower myself.
3: That conversation is moments away. But first this, Atlanta Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms is president-elect Joe Biden's pick to serve as a vice chair of the Democratic National Committee. Now, Biden announced the endorsement in an email sent out by his campaign yesterday. In a tweet, Mayor Bottom said she's grateful for the recommendation, saying, quote, I'm ready to build on our party's progress to make a better future for all Americans, close quote. She will still remain as Atlanta's mayor. Next week, DNC members will formally vote on the nominees. Biden also announced his plans for restoring the nation's economy due to the COVID-19 pandemic.
0: I'd like to talk to you about our way forward. A two-step plan of rescue and recovery. A two-step plan to build a bridge to the other side of the crisis we face to a better, stronger, more secure America. Tonight, I'll lay out my first step, the American Rescue Plan.
3: Biden's American Rescue Plan calls for $1,400 stimulus checks and an additional $160 billion for a vaccine program. Right now, like many states, Georgia is in a third wave of increasing coronavirus cases. And for the third consecutive day yesterday, the state reported more than 100 confirmed COVID-19 deaths, which leads to the 10,721 Georgians who have died due to the virus. In total, 666,720 COVID-19 cases have been confirmed here in the state, and 45,893 have been hospitalized. And of course, as we all know, that's a number that keeps increasing. And of those, 7,869 considered ICU admissions. And our information comes from the Georgia Department of Public Health. In other news, Congresswoman Nakima Williams held a virtual town hall meeting yesterday. She wanted to explain her decision to support impeaching President Donald Trump.
1: We all came together to figure out what do we do? How do we move forward from here? And there are some people who are saying we need to just move on and we need to heal the country. But I was of a different posture. We needed consequences for the actions when the leaders of our country were inciting the violence that happened inside of our United States Capitol. And so I signed on to three different articles of impeachment. I signed on to an urging resolution to urge the vice president to invoke the 25th
3: Amendment. Now, also in that virtual town hall meeting, Jerry Weber, adjunct professor at Emory Law in Georgia State University, talked about the difference between the second impeachment proceedings and the first. These are front and center uh, in the heart of why the impeachment process is even there. And it's confirmed by the
1: fact that the 14th Amendment, which is, is cited in this article of impeachment that Congress has put forward, specifically talks about uh, acts of insurrection. And so not, there's not going to be the debate this time, I don't think, about whether this is a high crime or misdemeanor, because this is squarely in the heart of why uh, the impeachment process is there. Uh, one of the checks and balances to make sure that uh, if if somebody is unhinged uh, and usurping their authority and trying to, one, interfere with the election process, but two, interfere
3: with the workings of another branch of government, that they can be subject to impeachment. And here, both of those things happened. And of course, NPR and WABE will have all of that coverage if it indeed. Happens Now, a programming note for Monday, which is the King holiday, will have a special edition of Closer Look, reflecting on the philosophy of Martin Luther King Jr. and the current political climate in the nation.
1: What we're seeing right now is how dangerous it has been to frame him as someone that's soft. To not unpack that is very dangerous because now we're in an all-out meltdown where Folks have lost their lives at the hands of thinking Black folks, in particular, loves Dr. King so much that they will be nonviolent in the face of violence. And so I think that if we go back to King, King has shined the light on possible solutions. He's shined the light on potential answers. And I think he most importantly says you cannot address one without addressing all three. violence. Economic inequality and racism are all linked and self-reinforcing.
3: Now, today, of course, is the actual birthday of Martin Luther King Jr. The civil rights leader was born January 15, 1929, right here in Atlanta. He was assassinated on April 4th, 1968, in Memphis, Tennessee. In the months after his death, Michigan Congressman John Conyers introduced legislation to make Dr. King's birthday a federally recognized holiday, The first official Federal King holiday celebration wouldn't be held until 1986. The Martin Luther King Jr. Commemorative Service will be held virtually, and Monday's service will be followed by a wreath-laying ceremony. There's more Closer Look after this. And Closer Look continues now here on 90.1 WABE. This is Atlanta's Choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott. This past November in Cobb County, Craig Owens Sr. was elected sheriff and the county's first black sheriff. Owens defeated longtime Sheriff Neil Warren. Now, there will be some major policy changes under Sheriff Owens, and it's all part of his first 100 days plan as well. So you know what's next. And joining me now, Cobb County Sheriff Craig Owens Sr., Thank you so much for taking time, and uh, Happy New Year.
2: Happy New Year to you, and thank you for having me on your show.
3: You know, I, I want to begin, um, Sheriff, by getting your thoughts on reflecting what took place in our nation's capital last week, especially given that an officer, Capitol Police Officer Brian D. Sicknick, passed away due to injury sustained while on duty. You, of all people, know just how tough and dangerous a job like that is. Just your thoughts on on what transpired.
2: Yeah, uh, after serving over 30 years in the United States Army Reserve and active duty time, you know, we've been deployed to regions of the country uh, just for that same thing. Uh, and it was just a unbelievable sight to see that occur in the United States. And um, it, it was just broke my heart that it occurred. So, um, you know, as a sheriff, you know, I'm, I'm going to work with federal, state, and local law enforcement officers to keep. Uh, our county safe and our judicial center safe. And it, it is just so heartbreaking that we saw a lack of leadership at the national level. And I really implored our governor, as I stated a earlier in a, another report, Governor Kemp and other state officials for swiftly condemning these acts of anti Americans, you know, that doing these things down our capital. So uh, it was a deplorable act, and hopefully we can get past this and get back on the right track.
3: In fact, you said in a statement, I'm, I'm going to quote you here, uh, domestic terrorism is real and it must be addressed. The actions of the insurrectionists, as we are calling them, um, you view that as also similar to terrorism.
2: Yes, I, I really do. I think it's an act of domestic terrorism, as I stated, and we have to address this. You know, we can't uh, allow our individuals to come into our state capital, that sacred ground, and do things like that and and hurt and kill and maim people and destroy that property. So we have to uh, do better and we have to treat those who did these uh, with uh, swift and quick justice.
3: And of course, you of all people understand uh, when there is a fallen, whether it's a fallen soldier, a fallen law enforcement officer, the impact that not only does obviously to that officer's family, but to the department as well as a leader. And I know it's something that you have to be concerned about. Yeah,
2: That is so heartbreaking when you lose one of your own. Mm -hmm. It it, it goes against the total foundation that you stand for and work for. And it is is detrimental as a leader, and especially the leader of the entire organization, to lose a member. So you have to consult your whole agency because your whole agency is hurting. Mm -hmm. And to include his family and the community as well. So it is a traumatic thing for everyone in that community when we lose an officer.
3: I want to shift now. You know, your ceremony was actually scheduled to take place in early December, but you contracted COVID-19 and it had to be pushed back. First of all, how are you feeling, Sheriff Owens?
2: Well, thank you so much for asking um, that. I'm feeling great. Um, I, first, I'm thanked by the grace of God I was able to overcome COVID-19. I did not have some of the severe you know, um, issues that a lot of other people had. I, my issues are very minor, I like to say.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And again, I think that was a blessing. Just had um, high fever and I really just lost my appetite. So uh, so I, on that aspect, um, I did not have it as bad as others. And again, I, that was the blessing for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I was able to do the home, home quarantine, you know, take some prescribed medicines that my doctor told me I need to take, some vitamins and et cetera. And after my quarantine period was over, um, tested negative and came back to work and have been relatively healthy ever since. So no issues.
3: And you mentioned that you plan to take the vaccine. Have you received it? Yet? I have
2: not. I have not. On the advice of my doctor, they wanted me to wait 30 days mm-hmm. before I take it. So my third days will be up next week. So I'm registering, we uh, will be registering for the vaccine today in attempts I can get a slot next week to take it. So my third days will be up at the end of this week and I'm jump right on it, because I think it's very important mm-hmm. that the citizens of Cobb County see their uh, first and new elected sheriff and as a leader, step out front and take this vaccine and, and be up front with it so they know, hey, I'm going to take it. I'm encouraging everyone to take it so we can end this, uh, this terrible virus.
3: Mm-hmm. And with first responders here in Georgia now among those in line to receive the vaccine, will you mandate or strongly suggest that those in the department should also get the vaccine or you leave it up to each individual person
2: but right now we are strongly or I should say I'm strongly suggesting that they take it so I've sent emails out to all my employees strongly suggesting that they take it and that's the reason why I want to try to take it as soon as possible so I think when they see me take it hopefully ease some of the fears or concerns they may have about taking the vaccine and so um, hopefully by them seeing me take it next week it just open the floodgates for all my employees to come out and take it voluntarily.
3: Has there been any confirmed cases within your inmate population at the detention center?
2: Unfortunately, we have. We had about 26 confirmed um, cases mm-hmm. within our facility. Uh, those um, that was confirmed were has been isolated. They received medical treatment in an isolated mm-hmm. uh, area of the center and getting those um, men and or women back to health is our prior, um, primary objective, and everything with them at this point is going well, and with no issues.
3: Now, are you all providing masks to those inmates, in, in the detention center?
2: Oh yes, ma'am. Oh, absolutely, we provide, a, well as we say, PPE gear mm-hmm. to them, which would be masks, gowns, and everything uh, to keep them safe. So, absolutely.
3: You know, you spent 3 decades serving in the military, you, know, you also served in law in local law enforcement. Uh, here's a question, you know it was coming. Why why run? And of course you won, but what was it about um wanting to be the leader in the Cobb County Sheriff Department?
2: It's a great question. And and sometimes I ask that same question to myself, but I always come up with the same answer. I say, if not me, why not me?
3: Yeah, well, That's a good answer. I feel that my, uh,
2: <laughs> My years in the military and in the police department has prepared me for this position. Been in the military, uh, being a division command sergeant major with the responsibility of 14,000 soldiers across the United States and abroad, managing a budget for almost 80 million dollars there, have prepared me for this position, as well as working with the police department for over 30 years. Been a commander there, been in charge of the, uh, I like to say the the toughest precinct in Cobb County for the last several years and um, crime had decreased under my command there our community involvement has uh, just been unbelievable and i've made some great strides down there making connections and bridging that gap between the police and community there i think i've restored trust back in them from the police department side for what we can do so i just think um my years of service in the military and the police department has prepared me Mm -hmm. for this position and i think uh, it was the right time Uh, i think our citizens had lost trust in the sheriff's office. And I uh, I just felt it was just the right time. And again, if not me, why not me? And I thought I'd just take that leap of faith and uh, get into the race and tell people about me, myself personally, my qualifications. And I thought they would speak for themselves and hope that they make the right decision. And the citizens of Cobb County did.
3: Let me ask you, Sheriff, how would you assess morale within the department um, prior to your election?
2: Prior to the election, I, mm-hmm. morale at the sheriff's office. Mm-hmm. I've read several deputies uh, while I'm out on the road uh, from when I was working the police department, and they all said, echoed the same sentiment, that they need to change. Um, we've been doing the same type of stuff for 20 plus years with no changes, and we just want a new, fresh outlet. We cannot continue to do what we've been doing because obviously it's not working.
3: Take that a little further for me. Give me an example. Yeah,
2: uh, yeah. well... No significant changes to the office, meaning no significant changes in recruiting, no significant change in in the hiring process, no significant change in personnel, how you transfer, how you get transferred, uh, things of that nature. So it it turns out to be they were just tired of not having any updated policies Mm -hmm. or proceed or anything to do good for them. They had no absolute zero working you know, in the community. They were disconnected from the community. Sheriff's office pretty much disconnected from the whole county mm. because they didn't have working relationship with anyone else in the county, and not the employees understand the, the leadership. So they were separate because we're the sheriff, we, we do what we want, and don't have to work with anyone else. So um, that's some of the issues they had, and that's something I'm definitely changing from the RIP. I think, as you see going forward, I've already built relationships with everyone in the county, so we, we will have a great Mm-hmm. working relationship as well as i built relationships now in all our six cities within Cobb County. Mm-hmm. So I went and spoke to all the police, you know, chiefs of police. I had a chance to speak to the mayors and let them know, Hey, look, I'm here to assist you on any way I can to make Cobb County as a whole a safer community. And that's my overall desire to keep the citizens of Cobb County safe as well as to take care of my employees who work for the sheriff's office.
3: Mm-hmm. Last summer, while uh, of course the pandemic <laughs> raged on, protests throughout the nation, you know, brought on by the killing of George Floyd. And it is clear it will take a lot. It will take federal legislation, local department policy changes, state laws, community engagement to meet the demands everybody wants. Where does it begin to address this problem and then come up with solutions?
2: Well, for me, and I I look at my community first and foremost, um, that's why I think you as a leader, you have to have the pulse of your community. You got to know what's going on in your community. Mm-hmm. But to get the pulse of your community, you got to work in the community. You got to get out into the community and see the needs of your community. If we don't have open dialogue in the community, if we have not, you know, been able to establish that trust, that transparency and truth, which is what I ran my campaign on, truth, mm-hmm. transparency, you will never achieve a a, a, uh, a solid community atmosphere because you will always have that so my philosophy is the first I got to go out and restore truth trust and transparency in the community so that, that's going to tell me getting out working in the community mm-hmm. meeting with my community leaders meeting with the school officials just meeting with everyone I possibly can to find out what are the issues in our community and then tell them this is what we're going to do to fix it. and then and also be a man enough to say okay this is what we did wrong and this is how we're going to fix the issue and, you know, and, and just bridge that gap, which is something we have not had here in Cobb from the sheriff's office perspective. So we've got to get out and work with our community, let them know I'm here for them, that I work for you. And that's my philosophy going first. Let them know I work for you. You're going, I'm going to do the right thing, even when no one's looking, as well as my deputies will. So I got to build that trust. I got to restore that trust in Cobb County Sheriff's Office. Community. I think that's how we begin to mend and then our community know that we're going to do the right thing. And when we do something wrong, admit it and hold those accountable for doing those wrongdoings. Make swift and, just quip, uh, swift and just punishment, but make sure we do it fair and legally, and then we'll go on. But I think our community have to know that we would do that. So it's going to take some time, uh, and I'm all about working with our community and getting that done and building that relationship back up that we lost.
3: If you just join us, I'm joined by Craig Owens, Sr. He is the newly elected sheriff of Cobb County. You stated early on as a candidate that you wanted to get rid of the 287G program. Of course, that's a partnership with the Department of Homeland Security and allows deputies to detain individuals suspected of being in the country illegally. Um, you want this partnership to end. You all have a contract, though. Can you legally end it? Is there a, a sort of out clause for you all?
2: But that's a good question. So uh I was able to have a meeting of course with our a county attorney I had a meeting with our ICE um officials. In fact yesterday. Meeting went very well. And um as we finish this process and our legal team make sure that everything is correct. And I will be releasing a statement on that later latter part of this week once I receive my uh a legal opinion and how we're going to go forth with the program. But yes, I think it's going to be a good statement. I bet it released at the end of the week, but I want to make sure I don't say anything premature until I get my legal opinion back. But I met with them um, yesterday. The meeting went very well, and I have met with our legal um, team from the county. And I think uh, everything is going well, and I have a statement probably hopefully by the end of the week once I get my legal opinion back for them.
3: Can I add Well, I do want to ask if the representatives from ice, were they understanding Did they want to know more why you wanted to end the program?
2: Absolutely. I think we had, a, we had a great conversation, um, with the, uh, sack here in the Atlanta area, uh, and his uh, other personnel, the assistant SAC, and other gentlemen, he brought uh, very good conversation. They understood, uh, my reason for, uh, wanting to depart from the program. And, and it was not a, a advantageous type of meeting. It was a great mm-hmm. meeting. I, I was surprised. It was a very great meeting, uh, they're very professional gentlemen and uh and it went well. So they understand, understand my philosophy, how I want to take the sheriff's office going forward, and, and they are they understand that.
3: So why did you so what did you tell them as to why you wanted to end the program?
2: I just didn't think it was the right thing for Cobb County. Uh, I think Cobb County is better, and I think we can um, use those resources that we're sending to them and, and um other facets to help my community. Uh, it makes no sense for me to supply. Uh, resources to the federal government to supplement their manpower when I'm sh- short manpower myself, mm-hmm. uh, bringing those resources back to help supplement my own shortages so I can give that service back to the citizens of Cobb County. And they understood that without uh, any issue.
3: Do you feel like ICE is using local law enforcement with this program as almost their an, an extended immigration authority body?
2: Well, I'm not sure on that aspect, but I know they were basically using it as an additional resource. What they, where they didn't have the resource, they mm-hmm. felt they can use local, you know, sheriff's offices resources to fill their vacancies or their um, shortcomings.
3: You have a strategic plan for the first 100 days. What do you hope to accomplish? And I guess what are those top priorities, Sheriff?
2: Oh, that's a great question. Well, you got some good questions today. Um, <laughs> You know, my four top areas, uh, you know, I, I want to make sure we focus on COVID-19. And being a COVID-19 survivor, I think is very important that we focus on that, on, not only our community, but only in our detention center as well, making sure we're providing the most safe environment we possibly can for anyone that comes in this facility. So that is a, a top focus of mine. Uh, organization and our change management, you know, looking at our organization from top to bottom, uh, making sure that we're providing the right services um, at the right time and being good stewards of our taxpayers here in Cobb County. And again, another issue that uh, is very important to me is our detainee health and treatment of them while they're in this facility, making sure that we're providing them with the best possible healthcare and mental health care that we possibly provide, making sure that the contractor contracted companies that we have come in doing those services are doing just that and giving them the best services that we possibly can provide for them to keep them safe while they're here. And the last thing, um, which I think, well, it's two more things actually. One of the last thing I think is very important, as I stated earlier, is our community engagement. Mm-hmm. I feel we have to get engaged in our community, have those dialogues and make sure I build, you know, rebuild that or restore the trust that has been lost and make sure our community you know this Sheriff's Office is gonna always uh, operate with truth, trust and transparency. And we're gonna do everything we possibly can at all times to keep our community safe, and to build programs that's helpful for our community going forward so everyone can be proud to be a Cobb County um, citizen as well as be proud of his sheriff's office. And that last thing is, of course, um, my dedication to getting uh, terminating the program with 287G. Mm-hmm.
3: You know, Sheriff Owens, you've had many leadership positions, especially in the military, as we just talked about. Mm-hmm. And you and I both know that order and discipline is a must. Mm-hmm. But how does that experience help you now as a sheriff?
2: Well, honestly, that, that military have really paid the foundation for me, um, making it to the rank of division command sergeant major is one of the highest ranks you get in the military. Mm-hmm. You know, and the personnel make command sergeant major, that alone a division sergeant major. Um, so that discipline and trust is instilled in us at a young age in the military, and as you go through the ranks, it just kind of internalizing into you. So everything you kind of do. And people say, well, you you really, you have that military bearing. I say, yes, because that's what's been instilled in me. And having discipline, having that professional bearing, you know, and those things are important and being trained correctly. And so those things that, you know, I bring from military, that discipline, training, and that professional demeanor and bearing is what this sheriff office is going to be going down in the future. So I think those things are, a critically important and the military have taught me that, and in fact, that's what keeps you alive on a battlefield: training, your posture, your mental state, and those are things that military teach you. And I'm this is not making the sheriff's office a military unit by no means, mm-hmm. but I'm taking values that I got from there and putting it into this office to make it the best sheriff's office in the state of Georgia, if not in the nation.
3: Do you look for those values? with the folks that you're going to announce and swear in and with your new command staff here soon?
2: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I think, uh, I was able to assemble one of the best command staffs, um, uh, that I could. Um, uh, we had all well over almost 200 years of experience combined with these young men and women that I've selected to come on and work at the sheriff's office. They come from their backgrounds. Some have military backgrounds and et cetera. So I have a, a, a mirrored background of, uh, command staff leads I think it's gonna be great for Cobb County Sheriff's Office.
3: Sheriff how diverse is this command staff in terms of um, men women racially ethnic diversity here?
2: It is diverse command staff I'm glad you had question. we have uh, females we have white males white females uh, black males uh, and black females so we have a diverse uh, command staff very diverse I like to say I think it's one of the most diverse that you've seen in, in Cobb County Sheriff's office in a while.
3: You, um, you mentioned black, you have a Latino or Hispanic.
2: Representation. I just, I do not have a Latino uh, command staff member, but we're definitely looking, I'm looking for one. I just have not had opportunity to find one that was willing to come here as of yet.
3: Is that going to be a priority for you? Cause given that Cobb County does have a, a fairly large, Hispanic and Latino population? Mm-hmm.
2: yeah. You know? I don't think it's going to be a problem. I just think I just have to get out and find uh, the individual. Um, and like I said, I won't stop here locally. I'll even go out of state and national for the right fit for Cobb County. Mm-hmm. I just haven't found yet. Um, but what I did do, and, I, and I'm glad you brought it, we have a, a large Hispanic um, community, and, and I'm very proud of them and what they stand for. And we're also going be having a Hispanic liaison I'll be bringing on in the next few weeks to uh, be my liaison within the Hispanic community, which I think is extremely important. I have someone who can be there to make sure I'm not missing any of their needs or concerns, and, and they're being addressed on a regular basis as well.
3: As we wrap up, Sheriff, I want to ask you this. I know a lot of police departments have some type of citizen review board. In Sheriff's Department, is that something that's typical or not?
2: It's down south is really not that typical. Mm-hmm. I think um, you'll see that more up, up in the northern states, but not a lot down south.
3: Would you welcome uh, one?
2: I, I, was, I would definitely welcome to see the organization structure of a system review board. And because we have to share what authority we give them first and foremost.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, so we have to see how the, that structure is set. But I will welcome the conversation of having one. Um, and see how we can organize it without, you know, see what those, their actual um, powers are and how we can mm-hmm. break that into our own conduct review board that we establish here at the sheriff's office. So if we do have something like that in the future, they all can work together on the same seamless, seamless platform so there would be no issues.
3: And finally, you talked about your leadership style um, just a moment ago. How do you handle conflict?
2: Whether Straight ahead.
3: Okay. What does that mean, <laughs> straight ahead? My dad yeah, used to I'm say not,
2: that. <laughs> yeah. we, military trait, and I'm sorry to say that, but um, not in a negative way. But we, us from the military, and especially for the Army side, we don't run from conflict. We, 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 we meet it straight ahead and we deal with it. So if we have issues or conflict, we're going to go straight to it. I'm not, we don't run from the gunfire, for a lack of better terms. We run to it. So I'm going to run to it, try to fix it, and, and get us back to normal as quick as possible. I would not uh, have conflicts lingering on uh, for long periods of time. So my plan is if we have a conflict, I'm going to address it as soon as I possibly can, hopefully bring it to a a quick resolution that's, that's good for both parties, and then get back to work. So I don't want these things to linger. We want to meet them head on, address it, and then get back to the business at hand of keeping Cobb County citizens safe.
3: You're willing to admit when you have made a mistake or the department has made a mistake?
2: Absolutely, because if I don't, then the citizens never trust me. I think um, we got to tell the system when we do right and when we do wrong. And as a leader of this organization, they should be hearing this from me. So i will be out front when we do right and we do wrong. And you'd be the first person you hear from. And I admit we did wrong, and I'll tell you what we're going to do to fix the problem, and, and we'll hopefully go forth with it. So we can't hide. We can't um, send other people out in front to talk for me when we do wrong. You only see the sheriff when we talk about everything we did good, you're going to see me when we do good and bad. I want you to be the first force you hear. And, and to make that, that statement or that mission that we was wrong and tell them this is how we're going to correct this problem so it don't happen again.
3: I want to end with this because uh, everything you just talked about, but I imagine with those grandchildren, you're not that tough. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, them, I'm not. You know, Ms. Rose, here's the deal. And my mom told me this when I was coming up. You know, when you get grandkids, you love them and spoil them and send them home. <laughs> <laughs> Very so you true. Can be nice to them and, do, and, and then send them back home and let your mom and dad deal with them. So that's what I do with my grandbabies. Um, there's no toughness with them. Um, they normally get what they want from me, and I um, and just love them to death and, and and spoil them and send them back home so that mom and dad can
3: deal with them. <laughs> Craig Owen, Senior, the New Cobb County Sheriff but a soft grandpa. Thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it.
2: Again, ma'am, thank you so very much for allowing me to speak on your show. It has absolutely been a pleasure and I hope to talk to you again soon.
0: Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. If you love Atlanta,
3: And Closer Look continues now here on 90.1 WABE, Atlanta's choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott. According to the Center for American Women in Politics housed at Rutgers University, this very moment, 144 women serve in the U.S. Congress, 26 in the Senate, and 118 in the House. Also, the number of women in statewide elective executive posts, as they call it, is 94, and the proportion of women in state legislatures is just about 30.8%. And while these numbers are better than, say, in decades past, there are efforts to get more women running for elected office and specifically to increase numbers for women of color. But running for office, any elected office, demands and requires more when women have entered the race. It starts with, is the time right? Well, a new book is focusing on all of that and more. It's called Run to Win, Lessons in Leadership for Women Changing the World. The author is Stephanie Schirock, who's also president of EMILY's List. And we should note, EMILY's List is a political action group with a dedicated focus to help elect pro-choice Democratic women. Stephanie Chirac, welcome to the program.
1: Thank you, Rose, so much for having me.
3: Before we get into the book and all of that, I just want to get your thoughts on this, because as you know right now, this nation is divided politically. That's a given. And at the time of this interview, next week's inauguration, I uh, won't magically rebuild the shredded threads of democracy so many people feel right now, Stephanie. But through your lens, what role should elected officials, whether federal, state or local, what should they do right now beginning to reassure their constituents and the communities that they represent about how they're go- what role they're going to play in moving this nation forward? Given what's just taken place so far,
1: it, you know, it is a a time of great fear in this nation uh, from so many communities, and you know, when I listen to President Elect uh, Joe Biden uh, and Vice President Elect Kamala Harris, and, and just by the way, saying her name gives me the chills. I'm just so so beyond excited that she's coming in. Uh, it is it is a time to find. Uh, some healing and it's not because we were healed before all of this let's face it we were not uh, we we are a nation built on a on a lie and a broken a broken system uh, when you when you build your nation on slavery and never do anything to truly uh, come to terms with that you you end up here in my opinion so we what what do we need to do immediately? Mm-hmm. Uh, we need to get on top of this pandemic as quickly as possible and let folks know that there's some hope. We need hope. We all need hope and we need to get money in people's pockets quickly because folks are losing their homes and they are getting kicked out of their apartments. And we've got to, we've got to take care of our people, period. And that is a huge amount of work. And then on top of that, in everything we do, we, have to start tearing down the systemic racism that is built into every aspect of our institutions and our society. And and so that isn't just like, oh, this is just one thing on the list to do. It is when we deal with the pandemic, we have to think of it through the lens of systemic racism. When we deal with getting stimulus to the American people, we have to think about it through the lens of systemic racism. That's how you do this. It's not like, oh, I gotta check that box. We've gotta focus and do it intentionally. And that's what we do, even in running for office, we gotta be intentional about who we're running for office.
3: Might this moment also spur or influence, and since we're gonna focus on women, uh, you think, influence women to, at least other women, more women rather, more women to possibly seek running for office, no matter what the level. Um,
1: Yeah, I think this is beyond a moment uh, for women. I think this is a cultural change that has really started uh, the catalyst being the election of Donald Trump. Uh, And I can say that for certainty, because at EMILY's List, uh, an organization that is committed to electing Democratic women to office, we have seen over 60,000 women of all backgrounds from all geographies across this country raise their hand, come to us and say, I want to run. Now, they may not know what they want to run for, (laughs) (laughs) they may not be running quite yet though a lot of them are but they're planning and that first obstacle for women so often is seeing themselves in that elected role instead of in the background Mm -hmm. and now that has changed this is not a moment this is going to continue i can tell you for certainty because i can see it even as we are recruiting right now at emily's list for 2021 and 2022 uh, that there are so many women and women of color stepping up to run. It is for us now to back them up and get them what they need to win.
3: And we're going to focus on that in just a moment. But I want to go back and I want to move to you for, for just a second here, because I, I want you to recall for me, Stephanie, the first time you voted for a woman candidate, whether it was local or state. You remember? Oh, the first
1: time I voted for a woman candidate uh-huh. Uh Yes, I was in college, and it was 1994, uh, and Ann Winia was running for the United States Senate, hmm. and uh, and it was now. Um, I hope I have that year right, but I'm pretty sure I do because it was a. Be- it was not a good year for Democrats mm-hmm. uh, 1994. Mm-hmm. Folks um, often uh, forget that part, and and she did not win. But I, I do remember that campaign, I don't, and. And I will though, fully acknowledge. And this was in the state of Minnesota. Mm-hmm. I don't. I did not understand uh, as a woman how hard it was for her. Like, I, I I hadn't grasped yet uh, the the challenges of women uh, because I had been told I'd been you know raised in a generation uh, that was told as long as you. You know, okay, let's just be blunt. I am a white woman from Butte, Montana. Okay, so, yeah. mm-hmm. so, so I was told that I can do anything I want to do. Just you know, don't make too much trouble. Keep your head down. Work hard, and it's gonna, it's gonna come. And and for me, uh, that was the case in a lot of ways because of my background. But I didn't recognize uh, really until later in my career, and then ultimately at Emily's List. Uh, one, the only reason I, a, a white woman, could do that was because I was standing on the shoulders of giants who made that happen for mm-hmm. me. And that the barriers for women of color were so much larger uh, that, that we needed to do like so much more uh, and it is, our responsibility uh, to join with the communities to do this and not just think it's gonna happen because it's not, because there's too many obstacles. Uh, so I, it's, um, you know, I'm just, I'll just be honest. Like sure. I just did not grow up in a, like I'm gonna be a feminist. In fact, we were told not to use that language because it might, it might slow you down because it would make you look like a radical.
3: Let me ask you this. When someone reaches out to Emily's List with a desire to run for office for the first time, what are the most common inspirations behind that decision? What are you hearing?
1: It's almost always they want to make some sort of particular change uh, in their communities. And it is, uh, I mean, it can be, I don't like what's going on with my schools. Mm -hmm. Uh, Or to... I don't like what the national Republicans are doing because we're a democratic organization, and I we need to, you know, I need to do something, and it's got to start here. Uh, They want to make change. Mm -hmm. Uh, What what it isn't is I want to be in office. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like it's Mm -hmm. it's the difference between I want to make I'm doing this because I something needs to be done versus I'm doing this because I think I should be in office.
3: There's a section in the book titled, Am I Ready? And you write, quote, sometimes it's a political question. Is this the best race at the right moment? Briefly, if you can, dissect that for our listeners a little bit. And what are you hoping that the candidate understands or soon to be candidate understands about, is this the best race at the right moment?
1: Yeah, and, and you do need to look at all of these factors uh, because there's, first off, a lot of offices to run for. Uh, city council, county commissioner. I mean, every, every state has a lot of different offices mm-hmm. all the way up to the president of the United States. You know, you can everything in between. And so looking at uh, where your best opportunity is and where you're sort of fit and what you want to do, uh, I would look at, at those things. And also like, let's face it, I, mean, I want everybody to run, but I also want, I want you to win. And so being really intentional about where you can put together the organization uh, with help, you don't you don't do this alone, by the way, this is this is not a, a, a sole endeavor. This is a building a network and a community and you bring your family into this. Uh, but looking for the opportunity where you can put those pieces together uh, and get started and we'll walk you through it. And, and sometimes women will think, well, I got to start at the very beginning. I should start at city council. And, and a lot of women, we need people at city council. Mm-hmm. Sometimes Emily's List will look and go, well, wait a second there's an opportunity in the US House. There's an opportunity in the US Senate. Maybe we should look
3: bigger. So it does sound like to me, Stephanie, that there's a self analysis checklist, and then there's an ex- external checklist to assess for the soon to be candidate.
0: Hmm. Yeah,
1: and I just talked about really sort of the external checklist. The internal checklist is really important too, and and. I, I'm just gonna say, I get it. Like before I make a major decision in my life, you know there's a pro and con list. like you know <laughs> that' I'm mm-hmm. writing everything down. I'm thinking about how this is gonna affect uh, every aspect of my of my life. and and I don't I, I don't have children, but I'm close to I'm close to my family, I'm close to my nephew. you know there's just you know, a lot of support there. Uh, so I have to think about that. for women. Thinking about the economic, and I don't mean the campaign economics, I mean the personal economics mm-hmm. of making sure you can pay for your rent, make sure the kids are taken care of in the process, that it's a good experience for the family. Because campaigns are hard, things are going to be said. You're going to grow a thicker skin. We talk about that in Run to Win, too. Like mm-hmm. you got to grow a thick skin the family kind of has got to grow a thick skin too. And you got to help guide uh, your family through that. But, but they just, um, you yeah, know, the women are going to really think that through. And I'll be honest, we've, we've lost some candidates because potential candidates for office, I should say, mm-hmm. uh, because it just wasn't the right time with the age of the kids or it wasn't the right time because economically it was too hard to do, mm-hmm. uh, which is shameful. And it's something that we've got to think about as as states and a nation, because that should not be how we're losing people from running for office.
3: If you're just joining us, I'm joined by Stephanie Shirock, who is co-author of the new book, Run to Win Lessons in Leadership for Women Changing the World. In the book, there are so many sections. Uh, obviously, a huge component is fundraising. Uh, and you take the reader through that. But I want to talk about something else, because in this section about building a team, and especially if the candidate is an unknown candidate, this can be a challenge. And you talk to them about building a team and building allies.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, let's face it, our our system of, uh, has been built over you know 250 years mostly by white men who have a pretty established network of people to go to all the time who do do this work and so for our newcomers which is mostly you know anybody who's not uh, a white male uh, it means starting sometimes from scratch but what i'm saying is You've all got a network, everybody's got a network, everybody's got friends to go to, and and organizations like EMILY's List can help think through the other affiliated organizations that would love your story mm-hmm. and love your ideas about what you wanna do for your community. Uh, this isn't rocket science. We're not trying to go to the moon. I think that's, I mean, I, I know maybe going to the moon isn't hard, it <laughs> seems hard to me. I'm not a rocket scientist, but I can tell you this, this is just about people and politics is is really just about people and putting together the organization, whether it's a set of volunteers to run for city council or a paid staff to run for Congress, uh, we can do all of this. And Mm -hmm. we lay it out in the book very clearly. And if you go to emilyslist.org, you can also literally get uh, lessons on our training center, on on how to put together a fundraising operation, a press release, all of these basic things. They're all skills to be taught.
3: That's it. Let me ask you this. Are there any wrong reasons someone should run for an elected office? Are you all very clear about that? What we talk about, I should say,
1: um, where races are just really, really Uh, And I'm not saying you shouldn't run in a really hard race, but uh, there are just dynamics, particularly in this country, where so many of our congressional districts, our legislative districts, are gerrymandered to only be for one party. So if you're a Democratic woman and you wanna go run in a congressional district that has been literally drawn by Republicans for a Republican to win, Mm -hmm. I'm gonna tell you it's gonna be wickedly hard to get over that partisan break right now. Uh, Maybe you can make it closer than usual, but it is hard. And we are very honest about those numbers. Now, I also think we need Democrats to run everywhere. Again, I work for a democratic organization, but I think people, I think people should see both sides in every election, even though we're in gerrymander situations, but we're very blunt. And, and if you, if you don't want to run to lose, which in some cases, you're just in a bind because the way the lines are drawn, uh, then we will tell you, and we'll be blunt about it. And you got to look at that. Because, it, because it's time-consuming and mm-hmm. it is expensive. Uh, and it's not just expensive in dollars, but it's expensive in emotional time and family time.
3: In the book, you also offer the reader examples of successful campaigns. Um, is there one that you can share for our listeners of a unique approach to a campaign from an unknown at the time?
1: Well, there are so many of our candidates are unknown when they first get started. So mm-hmm. many of them are coming out of, out of just the desire to make some change. Uh, in 2018, one of the reasons uh, Christina Reynolds, my co writer and I wanted to write this book was because the women, in particular, of 2018, and that's continued in in 2020. <laughs> though we didn't, didn't win as many of them in 2020. Uh, were coming from places that no one knew who they were. Mm -hmm. And there's so many stories. I mean, the uh, the one that popped in my head as you asked the question was, or is Lauren Underwood, who is now Congresswoman Lauren Underwood Mm -hmm. uh, from Illinois. She ran in a congressional district. Mm -hmm. First off, she's the youngest woman of color ever to serve in the United States House of Representatives. She in 2017 uh, went to a town hall as a citizen as we all are to ask her sitting republican member of congress about health care and if he would commit to protecting access to insurance for those with pre-existing conditions conditions because she has one so her story is very very powerful and he did he promised and then he went and voted against it and she got so mad that she stepped up and decided to run in a congressional district that was not even on our list at Emily's List to recruit for, because it was just underneath the line of sort of where we thought it could be winnable. And this woman, she just out of pure tenacity (laughs) did the work, pulled a group together, got through a six-way primary. Um, Emily's List got involved with her towards the end of that primary. I'll fully admit we were not with her at the very beginning, not because we didn't believe in her, just because the district was so hard, we had had so many races that year.
3: So before you all can financially get behind a candidate, you have to do your own assessment, and so you're looking at whether or not that district was winnable. And in, through your analysis, at the time, it did not appear that it was winnable for for Miss Underwood. Is that, that what you're saying?
1: That, yeah, initially, yes. And but then we got then we started seeing what she was doing. She blew out a six way primary. And then we, uh, you know, we spent hundreds of thousands of dollars in her general election fight in 2018 to get her over the finish line. Uh, one of many, many stories of women who did not ever even ponder running for
3: office. Stephanie, as we wrap up, who should read this book?
1: Uh, I was yeah, a- Anyone who has even an inkling of wanting to make a change. You don't have to want to run yet. Just don't say never. That's my rule. Don't say no. You can say not now. I'll take that. Don't say never. Rose, I mean you too. No, no one should say oh, never. No, 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 uh, no, 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 uh, no, no. You can no, say no. not now because you don't know when your community <laughs> needs you. You don't know when your community may need you. I'm not asking you to run, everybody running for the US Senate or for president. Sometimes you just got to run. Or the leader of the PTA, or you got to run for the lead. Maybe you got to take leadership in your church. I mean, leadership is leadership in everything, whether it's uh, in your volunteer capacity or at work. Mm -hmm. And so any woman, and you know what, some good men who want to read some good stories about some great women who are making changes like stacey abrams and kamala harris
3: stephanie shirok president of emily's list a political action group with a dedicated focus to help elect pro-choice democratic women but also co-author of run to win lessons in leadership for women changing the world co-authored with christina reynolds stephanie thank you so much for taking the time thank you
1: thank you anytime
3: and that is it for this edition of Closer Look. Our producers are Grace Walker and LaShawn Hudson. Our is Shelley Canavy. And if you missed any of today's conversations and segments, you can find the entire program online at wabe.org slash Closer Look. And of course, always on demand, just subscribe to Closer Look with Rose Scott wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Stay tuned to 90.1 WABE, Atlanta's choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott.